Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and he's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of this church, the body, and he's the beginning and he's the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be number one. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile and build back to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus, it is your name that we come under this morning. Your name that's lifted high and exalted. Your name that at the end of human history, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We'll all be gathered and we'll see you for exactly who you are. And your name will be lifted above every name. And this morning we get a small taste of that as we gather here and you've actually come close, you're near us. And we pray, God, that you would um, pull back some of the layers that block our vision of you. And um, yeah, we, we need to see you. We need to see your beauty. We need to see the ways in which your name is higher and greater than our situation, that you're over it. And you're not freaking out. And that we can come to you as your children right here in your presence and we can fix our attention on you and you can speak to our heart. Would you do that this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. You may be seated. Man, good morning, Venture. How you guys doing? Yeah, somebody's excited this morning. I'm Chuck Eastman. I'm the college pastor here and excited to be preaching on Mother's Day. Man, we got any moms in the house? We got some moms in the house. And uh, everybody's got a mom. That's one of the things that unifies all of us. And, uh, and so we just want to celebrate uh, moms this morning. I've got a mom. And uh, man, we put my mom, uh, we put her through the ringer, man. We gave her a hard time growing up. And uh, I think she's closer to Jesus because of that. But um, I'll show you a little picture of my mom. Actually, this is, she's got more gray hair than that. That's her, actually one of her first grandkids. She's got six kids, my mom does, and I want to say 13 grandkids. And uh, so she's, uh, she's the matriarch uh, of our family, and I'm so thankful for her. You know, back when I was in college, uh, of course, all my whole life, we put her through just a, a bunch of stuff. But uh, back when I was in college, uh, me and a good friend of mine, we were working a camp all summer. And my mom uh, asked if we would come back. We lived about 40 miles away. If we'd come back during the summertime 
and if we would mow our grass. Now, um, my house, we have three acres, okay? And we were too poor for a riding lawnmower, so that meant that we had to push mow three acres, okay? And uh, I don't know if anybody's ever done that before, but uh, it's a good time. And so me and, me and my buddy who uh, today, he's also a pastor, interestingly enough, but we were 21 years old. We had grown up, we'd both grown up in a Christian home. And we were at a little Christian college and we were 21 and we were starting to feel a little rebellious. And, uh, and so we thought we'd, you know, we were kind of trying to see what we could get away with maybe a little bit, but we weren't sure, you know. And anyway, we'd come back, we were mowing that grass. My mom said she was gonna be gone all day. And we were mowing the grass and it was hot. We were dripping in sweat. And we thought we'd take a break around two o'clock. And we thought because, you know, we were, we were 21 and we could maybe try to get away with something. We thought we'd like maybe go try to find some alcohol to drink. Now we didn't really drink alcohol. But we thought, man, you know, maybe we could uh, get away with this. And so we went to, you know, we went to like a brown derby with our hoodie over our head, you know. We wanted you to see us, you know, in the Bible belt. And uh, we went in there and we got, I don't know if anyone's ever seen these before. You probably haven't because you're a Christian. But there are these, there's this wine cooler called, uh, it's, like a, it's Jack and Coke, but it's in a bottle. Anybody seen these before? Okay, you haven't. It's okay. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we got those because we didn't know what to drink. And so we got a few of those and we came back to my house, you know, nobody's home. And, uh, and we start, you know, we're hot, we're dripping in sweat and we're drinking, you know, we're just like, oh, we're sipping a little bit like, woo, this is crazy, what's going on? And then my mom pulled up. <laughs> and uh, we were like, oh no, we're like freaking out. Now my mom, she grew up as a missionary kid. She's sweet, she's kind, and she has never, ever, touched her lips, never let any alcohol defile her lips, okay? So she's very, you know, fun, fundamentalist background growing up. And so uh, she comes, she's like pulling up, she's like coming through the door before we know what to do. And so we're like, what do we do? So we took our little wine cooler, Jack and Coke, we just poured it into like a cup and we got rid of like the bottles, we like hit them and got rid of them. And my mom walked into the kitchen and we just had a couple glasses sitting on the table my mom walked up and she goes, hey, how's it going? It was great. She goes, what are you guys doing? She says, oh, we're just taking a break and drinking some Coke. And she goes, awesome. And she grabbed my cup. <laughs> she says, I'm thirsty. And she just drained my cup. And we're just looking at her. The sweet missionary kid, mama. And she put it down and she goes, man, that is the best Coke I have ever had. Where did you buy that Coke? I said, I don't know, mom. I, you know, but got at this gas station down here. You know, ever, ever since then on Christmas or Thanksgiving, when she's sitting, when we're coming home or whatever, she's like, hey, could you go by that gas station and get that special Coke? <laughs> Just kidding. I made that part up. But man, uh, aren't we thankful for our moms? We're super thankful for our moms. And a day like today can be a day that's so joyful and so amazing. And uh, you know, this church, I've only been here for a little over a year now, but you know, I'll go upstairs sometimes with the, the Koinonia group, you know, at 7.45 in the morning and, uh, and I'll hang out with people up there and then I'll walk down the stairs and I'll see their grown kids um, somewhere out here on the patio. And then on Wednesday night, I'll see the college kids in my group. And I've seen three generations. Yeah, there's some in the room, right? Three generations of families and legacies in this house and in this room. And there's so much joy. Maybe you're here today and you're gonna sit with your three generations right now. And it's a beautiful, joyful day. Praise God for that. But it's also a day that's got a lot of complex emotions. 
And, and I know that we've got some moms in the house that have done what no mom should ever have to do, which is bury their child. I know we got some people in the house that this is the hardest day they have every single year um, because they lost their mom. And I know there are people, you know, I was single for so long and, uh, and I've got a lot of friends that were like me because of that. When you've been single for a long time, I didn't meet my wife till I was 38 years old, didn't get married till I was 39. And, and, uh, and I know a lot of folks, especially a lot of women that the culture says, man, your clock is ticking and they're just, man, they wanna be married, they wanna be a mom. And there's some unmet longing sitting in the room this morning. And you're just kind of wondering, where is God in my story? Like, what's going on? And, and those kinds of things, grief and unmet longing, can sometimes make us echo what Naomi in the book of Ruth said when she lost her husband, then she lost her sons, and she was basically going to, she felt completely wiped out, and she was going to go back to her homeland. And she told Ruth, she said, you know, God has lifted his hand against me. And, when, and moments like this, there's so much hope in what it could be, the legacy of motherhood. There's so much hope and excitement around that. But because of that, there's also a lot of hurt and grief when the story hasn't gone the way we thought it would. But here's the big idea this morning is we're a family. We're a family. And I know it's a big room and we're not sitting at a table, but I want you just to imagine for a second that we're at the biggest table in the world and we're a family together. And here's what I know about families. God made families and families contain some of the most beautiful, some of the loudest laughter there can exist on planet earth. But they're also some of the places where the deepest hurt and brokenness exists. And, and so we're a family, we're a collection of a bunch of families into one family that follow Jesus. And I just want you to know wherever you are this morning, there's room at our table for you. There's space for you wherever you are. And if you're here to celebrate, man, you're feeling like celebratory, man, you could celebrate. And if you're excited and you're expecting, man, there's so much hope and we're, joy, we're joyful about that. And if you're hurting, man, there's space for you. In fact, that's what Paul said. If you look at this in Romans chapter 12, he basically gave us three commands that would help us understand days like today, moments like this with our family. He says in chapter 12, verse nine, he says that love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, and love one another with brother, brotherly affection. We're a family. And then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. This morning, man, I want to outdo everybody and show as much honor as I can. Can we do that this morning? Man, I want to show some honor about moms in the house. But then he says, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Then he says, rejoice in hope. Man, I wanna rejoice in all the hope and expectation that God has for us in the future. And look at what he says, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality and bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and what? and weep with those who weep. This is a family. And in this family, in the same space and at the same table, we can show a light, we can show a ton of honor and we can rejoice loudly and celebrate. And at the same time, we have space for one another if you're hurting this morning. And we love you and we see you and so does Jesus. With that in mind then, we wanna look at how moms in particular put a spotlight on God. 
The first thing we want to say this morning is that men and women are both full, equal, and complete reflections of the image of God. Men and women are both full, equal, and complete reflections of the image of God. We see that in Genesis 1, verse 27. God had created everything, the sun, the stars, and then the apex of his creation is men and women. And it says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Men and women are both full, equal, and complete reflections of the image of God. And full stop, by the way. We start there and we want to say that because here's the deal. In our culture, both we're men and women, our culture says a lot of things about what your identity should be. And particularly for women, the pressure is intense. I mean, it's so intense. I mean, sometimes you, you look at the stuff that's said. If you're a mom, there's, man, the internet's full of stuff about moms should be like this and should do like this and should do, and if you do that, you're ruining your kids. And if you do that, wow, I can't believe you're a mom. And there's all this pressure. Or you should be a mom. And if you're not, what's wrong with you? Or if you're a mom, you should be awesome at home and be the best cook in the world, but you also need to be the best career person and be, make sure you're crushing it in the corporate world as a lawyer. And there's so much pressure around identity. And ladies, I just want you to know in the house, you full stop are the full and equal and a complete reflection of the image of God. You are, as you are, whatever season of life you're in, you reflect who God is. And that's all. And you don't need one more thing to tell you who you are. You don't need one more thing to validate your worth than that you were made by God and you reflect his image. And by extension then, mothers uniquely reflect God's heart and character. Mothers uniquely in a, in a cool way Help us see what the heart of God is like in his character. You know, the first time I was cued into that was that when I was a kid and we were, you know, pretty poor growing up. And, you know, when uh, your dad's a pastor and he also has a business and, and you've got a bunch of mouths to feed, six, you know, I got five brothers and sisters. And I'll, I'll never forget that there was this time, I don't know if anybody here has been grown up poor enough to have to do this before, but if you're poor enough, the government will give you free milk and eggs. Did you guys know that? So you can go to the Wick. Anybody ever been to the Wick? You don't have to admit it here. It's okay. Um, but we had to go to the Wick to get milk and eggs. And so we went to the Wick and it's kind of like the DMV, but like worse. There's like this like shame in your head. Like we're at the Wick to get our milk, you know? And so you go there. And so my mom, my dad was like out working. And, and so my mom got all six of us together and we went to the Wick and you have to sit in line at these like terrible chairs and like nothing to do. And, and it just takes like all day to get your stuff. And we're just sitting there and we were all from, from, from oldest to youngest, you know, so four boys in a row and then two little girls at the end. And uh, a lady walked by, I remember and uh, she just looked at it and she had this like snarky kind of look on her face as she looked at, you know, all these kids and my mom. And then she goes, you know, there's a way to not have kids, right? And, and I remember my mom, you know, uh, she's a stay-at-home mom, you know, she's not like an academic, you know, not like she's gotten, you know, a bunch of graduate school education or anything like that. 
And, uh, but she just looked down the line at all of us. We're just sitting there. And uh, what's funny thing about me and my brothers and my sisters, well, me and my brothers, we all look like we're carbon copies of the same, except for my brother, Eric. <laughs> my brother, Eric, has the biggest froey hair you've ever seen in your life. Like, we don't know what happened to him, but, you know, we're just all like straight hair, blue eyes, and then Eric's like, you know, big froey hair and brown eyes, and he just looks like a fanatic. And, uh, and so we see him sitting down here and she looks down the line and she goes, you know, if I hadn't had four boys, I'd have never had one with curly hair. And, uh, and I think that, I think I'd have missed out. And uh, that was one of the first times I thought, my mom understands the unique way everybody reflects Jesus and reflects God. That she has a sense and she looks at her six kids and understands that these kids are gifts from God, but they also are loved by God in each unique way. That's the heart of God for you and for me, is that God sees you and I exactly where we are and says, man, I, if I hadn't made one like you, I wouldn't got one with that kind of eye color. And I wouldn't have got one that was five foot three. Sorry, Chuck. And I wouldn't have got one, you know, just there'd be nobody like you. That's the heart of your mom. And it points to the heart of God that God looks at us with that and moms uniquely reflect this heart. So then what we wanna say this morning is that if moms reflect God's heart and character, both men and women, married or unmarried, with or without children, we can honor, respect, and grow into what mothers show us about God. Can we amen that this morning? that everybody in the room can look at the, our mothers and the way that they spotlight God's heart. And whether we have kids or don't, we can say, man, I honor that, I respect that, and I wanna grow into that. That's true for all of us. And so this morning we wanna say mothers should be celebrated and honored. If you look at Proverbs 31, the writer of Proverbs is going nuts bragging on the Proverbs 31 woman, and he says at the very end, he says in verse 25 of Proverbs 31, he says, strength and dignity are her clothing. Anybody know your mom is tough. And she laughs at the time to come, she's fearless. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And I just wanna pause for a second and say, is there anything as you look at your mom or you look at moms that have influenced your life that you can pause and go, man, I can celebrate and honor. Maybe can you honor how hard your mom has worked? Maybe your mom is like my mom and she's a stay-at-home mom. And I just want you to know, man, listen, my dad worked hard, but nobody worked as hard as my mom. Nobody. Nobody had to be as innovative to make stuff happen like my mom. Can we honor how hard our moms have worked? Maybe you grew up with a mom that was out there. My wife's uh, mom is a lawyer. She's out there in the workplace and provided for her daughters. Can we honor the way that she worked in or out of the home? Can we honor their sacrifices? The ways that they've given up time, energy, strength, money. How about their body? Hello? Like we were all, we all were given birth from a mom who sacrificed her freaking body so that we'd be alive. Listen, I'm never signing up for that. Praise God. Uh, you know, 
God and his sovereignty, man, put me where out, you know, I'm just, thank God for that. It's just, that is a sacrifice, okay? Can we celebrate her courage? I know every one of us can probably point to a moment where our mom had to step out in courage, had to do something, had to step out and say, nope, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. Can you celebrate our tender heart, especially toward maybe the most vulnerable people, the, the people that were are hurting, that are poor? I remember my mom one time took us to a, uh, took us to this day camp where a bunch of kids were bussed in from foster care and in the inner city and my mom said, hey, we're gonna go help. We're gonna play games in the field and stuff like that. And we went out there to play and we came back and me and all my brothers and sisters, we got lice, every one of us. And we had lice for a month. But you know what? My mom didn't care. And the moment we were lice free, we went straight back to that camp because my mom said, hey, I don't care what's going on in our lives. We're gonna care for the poor and the needy. Is there anything we can celebrate and honor about what God has done in our lives through our moms? Another thing we should point out, if all that's true, um, and this is gonna be super simple, but you and I and our moms should be listened to. Our moms need to be listened to. In fact, the Bible often takes the voice of a woman and particularly the voice of a mom and says, that's wisdom. In other words, you should listen to that the same way you might need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit in your life. A mom's voice in her wisdom should be listened to. Look at what Proverbs 1, 8 says. It says, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teachings. Forsake not your mother's teachings. If you, it won't come up on the screen, but if you look a little later in the chapter in verse 20, it says her voice is like standing at a busy intersection yelling, hey, watch out. Look where you're going. Don't give in to that temptation. Watch out for that situation. And, and the writer says, that's wisdom. You better listen. Only a fool doesn't listen to his mom. There's an example of this, actually. Paul's talking to a young pastor, Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of this church and Paul had mentored him. And in 2 Timothy, Paul points out something about Timothy's life that is incredibly valuable. In 2 Timothy 1.5, look at what Paul says to Timothy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt, dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now, scholars point at this verse and go, it is a remarkable verse that the father's not mentioned. And, the, and, and probably what most scholars say is that Timothy's father probably wasn't a believer but a godly grandmother and a godly mother passed the faith on to Timothy. And Paul says, you did well to listen to them. They passed on the faith to you. You know, I'm, I'm thankful to have a godly a grandmother. I'll show you a picture, actually three of them. These are the Marsh sisters. Middle one there is my grandma. She's 99 years old. She'll turn hundred in June. Um, she, um, she has 24, she's got five kids, 24 grandkids and 26 grandkids, great grandkids. Um, her sister is 101, Aunt Ray. Uh, Aunt Ray has 40 great grandkids. 
um, 19, uh, see, 19 grandkids, 40 great grandkids. That's right. And uh, they both, my grandma married a missionary in Japan and my Aunt Ray married a pastor in Alabama and uh, served God their whole lives. My Aunt Bernay and my grandma went to Japan right after World War II as single women. And uh, they were out in Japan and my grandfather, Grandpa George, he met them at a dinner party and went up to my grandma and said, I want you to be my wife. I guess that's just how you did it back then. And... uh, (laughs) And so they got married and he pastored in Japan, passed away in Japan. But my Aunt Bernay, um, she never married. She actually passed away last December at 93 years old. And uh, she never married. She spent 66 years as a missionary in Japan. Japan's one of the least Christian nations in the world. Less than 1% of people in Japan uh, are Christians. And I'll show you this next picture of her. Um, Aunt Bernay right after World War II, started a college ministry in Tokyo that reached thousands of college students. And then she planted two other churches in different cities in Japan and faithfully preached the gospel. And I have a question for you. Who has more children? Who's got more spiritual children? Man, I'm thankful for my grandma and I love Aunt Ray, but can I just suggest that you don't have to have biological kids to be a mom and have spiritual kids. And there's some women in this room and you need to lean into that. And you need to be a mom. You need to love on some folks. You need to teach some young men and some young women and pass on the faith. Have kids, pass it on. Don't have kids, pass it on. This is what mothers are called to do. There's a great example actually of a guy that was mentored by a mom that wasn't his mom. In Acts 18, there's this guy named Apollos and he's a, a ferocious preacher of the gospel. He's a new, new convert to Jesus. Check out what it says about him in Acts 18. It says, now there was a Jew named Apollos and he was a native of Alexandria and he came to Ephesus and he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures because he'd studied the scriptures as a Jewish guy. And he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. He knew about Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. So this is a guy that maybe had, he had some good theology. He was passionate. He knew the scriptures. He was preaching ferociously. He began to preach boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila, it's a husband and wife, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Can I just tell you probably what was happening there? Again, scholars look at this and they say, it's remarkable that the wife's name is mentioned before the husband. And most of them suggest the reason that happened is probably Apollos was out there faithfully and passionately trying to lead people to Jesus. Oh, that's all right, no worries. And uh, he was out there preaching Jesus. And as he was preaching Jesus, there just something wasn't right about his tone. Something wasn't right about his attitude. Something wasn't mature about the way that he was loving other people. And Priscilla, the wife, and Aquila pulled him aside and taught him the way more accurately. Now, if I saw a guy that needed some mentoring, I'd say, Catherine, you can say him, I got him. And I think I might be wrong in that because there might be a sense in which this guy and many young guys need the voice of a woman to say, hey, you're really passionate. Hey, you really know the scriptures. Man, there's a better way. 
And it says in that passage that after that, he went to Achaia and the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those through grace had believed. In other words, whatever Priscilla said to him, whatever she leveled out for him, he went into greater ministry because of that. This is what happens when we listen to the wisdom of our moms. I remember when I was just getting into ministry, I was 31 years old. Um, let's see, that's right, 32 years old. And I was pastoring this small church of 150 people. I'd been there for almost a year. And my best friend in the church, a guy my age, um, he didn't wake up, he died of a heart attack. And, uh, and you know, when you're a pastor, man, you love preaching. Oh, I love to preach. But when you're a young pastor, man, you don't know what to do when there's a crisis sometimes. And you definitely don't want to know what to do when it's one of your best friends. And I remember I got that phone call and, and I was crying and, and I was trying to think of what I was gonna do. And I got in my car and, and, I, was at, and I, you know, I was doing U-turns in the middle of the road and I wasn't thinking straight and driving in the wrong direction. And I just was, didn't know what to do as a young pastor in that situation. And this 75-year-old uh, woman in my church named Miss Thelma, she called me on my way there. And she said, hey, Chuck, and where are you? And I said, I'm on my way to, uh, to Monty's house. And she goes, hey, listen, I know Monty was one of your best friends and you go ahead and cry on the way to the house. But when you get there, before you get out of that car, I want you to wipe your face and I want you to go be a pastor because they need you to love them and shepherd them. They don't need you to cry on the floor. And I remember that shifted for me as an older woman said, hey, Chuck, I know you love them, but there's gonna be a better way. You've gotta step into what God's calling you to do. These, this is the wisdom that should be listened to when our moms speak. You know, all of this is pointing us that moms demonstrate a way of life. They demonstrate a way of life that all of us can incorporate, especially those of us who lead. Those of us who lead, whether in the corporate world, whether you're a father and you're trying to lead your home faithfully, um, whether you're leading in a church or in a ministry, as a leader, there's something moms demonstrate about healthy leadership and authority. We don't often talk about that, but check this out in 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2 says this, or 1 Thessalonians. Make sure I'm right here. Verse five. For Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians. He said, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles, as the leaders, we could have made demands, but what? But verse seven, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives or our own selves because you had become very dear to us. You know what Paul's saying? And this is good for anybody who's a leader in the house. Paul's saying, man, leadership and authority is often associated with power and strength. And Paul says, man, I could have done that, but that wouldn't have been healthy. Instead, what I did, he said, what's the best way to demonstrate my heart for you? Oh, it's like the way a mom, when, she, when she's around you and you need something, and she's gentle. 
and she's kind. And listen, and she affectionately wants you close. And she desires you. He says, man, that's the way we led among you. And that's good for all of us to lean into. How can we be among those that we lead and serve? Man, Paul says, you might wanna get the image of a mom in your head. And then he says, not only that, but mothers point us to how God cares for us in our pain. You ever wondered how God thinks about you if you're suffering? You ever wonder how God thinks about you when things are broken in your life? You ever wonder where God is in that situation? Well, the prophet Isaiah is gonna tell us that we don't have to wonder how God feels about us when we're hurting. In Isaiah 49, the prophet says this, he says, sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion, and this is the people of Israel, they said, but the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Just pin on that. I think this is how most of us feel when we're hurting. When we're broken, when we're struggling, doesn't it feel isolating? Doesn't it feel like we're alone? Even if we're not totally alone, isn't it a, a feeling of just complete isolation where we're struggling and things aren't changing? And so the prophet says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Yet even if she could forget, even, even though they may forget, which isn't gonna happen, yet I will not forget you. You wanna know how God feels about you right now if you're hurting? I just want you to know this, he hadn't forgot about you. In the same way that it would be ridiculous for a mother to forget about her hurting child, your heavenly father cannot forget about you. And you know, that's something to know about God's heart, but it's also something good for those of us in this family to remember when there's people around us that might be hurting. Something that every one of us might need to lean into is to go, man, who is hurting around me that God wants to use me to say, you're not forgotten. You haven't been left. I'm here. Just as I was preparing this the other day, man, God kept bringing person to my mind again and again. Somebody who had lost their mom, somebody who had gone through a situation, someone who was struggling with chronic pain. And these people just kept coming to my mind. And I was like, man, stop bringing this to my mind, God. I'm trying to work on a sermon here. But each person God brought to mind was like God saying, hey, you need to let that person know that they're not forgotten. You need to let that person know that even though that situation happened 10 years ago, you know it still hurts. And remind them that they have a God who just like a mother who nursed her child and every day that kid walks the planet, that mom goes, I hope she's okay. I hope he's okay. I have not forgotten. Your God has not forgotten you. And more particularly than just God in the heart of the father is Jesus longs to draw those who are far off close. It's the last thing I wanna point out this morning is that if we wanna know the heart of Jesus for those who don't know Jesus, if you're here today and you're like, man, I'm not so sure about Jesus and you wanna know how Jesus feels about you, well, Matthew tells us we gotta look 
at the heart of a mother. Look at what it says about Jesus. He was walking through Jerusalem, probably walking over a hill that looked out over Jerusalem and realizing that his brothers and sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters weren't responding to him and we're gonna reject him. This is what he said. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as what? As a hen gathers her brood under her wings. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm trying to help you understand how much I want you to be close. I'm trying to understand how much I long for those who are far off to come near. And the best visual picture Jesus can put on it of the angst of his heart is a mother that says, man, come home. I'm sure somebody in the house today is gonna get a call from mom or talk to mom or you're gonna call your mom, you should. And your mom's gonna say, awesome, good to hear from you. When are you coming home? Your mom's gonna say, man, it's awesome. I'm so excited for you. You're doing so great. I'm so proud of you. When are you coming home? I tell you what, somebody right now could, could make your mom so happy. You could talk to your mom and she could say, hey, that's awesome. Good to hear from you. You could say, hey, mom, guess what? I'm surprising you. I've been driving for two hours and I'm on your doorstep. Your mom will flip out. And that's the heart of Jesus. That's the missionary heart of Jesus to say, man, I want you close. And maybe there's somebody in the house this morning and you need to hear that. And if you wanna know how much Jesus loves you, just close your eyes and think about how much your mom wants you home right now. Because that's what Jesus wants for you. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna shift to the table. Jesus sat his best friends down at a table and he said to his friends, Hey, I'm making a new covenant with you. What's covenant? Covenant, and he made it with blood, was to say, hey, you were far off, but I'm making you my family. We're at a big table this morning because Jesus said, you're my family. And he did it through a body ripped apart on a cross and he did it through blood spilt on the ground. And he made a covenant with you and for me that says, no matter how far we go, he wants us close. And so we open this up. Jesus looked at his buddies and he said, this is my body. This is my body broken for you. And by extension, that's why you're my brother. The heart of a mother is reflected in the gospel that says, I will give my body for my children. And Jesus leaned into it. So we take his body and we say, thank you. And he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my covenant. This is how it can be true that God will say to you and I, I cannot forget about you. 
Oh, you think I've forgotten about you. You think I don't know your pain. You don't think I know where you are right now. You think somehow the story got messed up, but it hasn't. I can't forget. How do you know I have a blood of the covenant? My everlasting eternal promise that you belong to me and you've been forgiven. So we take it. Jesus, we love you so much. There's something you've done by giving us moms that help us see you. And God, I pray whether we have a mom today that we can celebrate or our mom is gone, that whatever we think on reminds us of the greater reality that you love us and that you're coming hard in our direction and you're gonna draw us close and you're gonna make us new. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.